You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 279th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 919th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of February 23rd, 2023. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Well, for this week's banner moment, I'll go back to Tuesday night when uh, the, the IU loss to Michigan State happened, but a couple other uh, really good things happened uh, within IU sports and within IU basketball uh, in total. The first was, and we talked about this on the postgame show, uh, I just thought it was a great showing of support the way that IU handled uh, being the first team to visit East Lansing uh, since the tragic shooting there. Uh, love the fact that Coach Woodson and the staff wore the Spartan Strong shirts on the sideline during the game that Trace wore one and other players did before the game. And uh, these guys are pretty fierce competitors, but also go back a long ways against uh, with some veteran teams at this point in the Big Ten. These guys have gone at each other for a while now. And I think uh, just a great showing of support and respect uh, and empathy for what uh, Michigan State was going through and, and certainly proud to be part of a program uh, that approached that game and handled it that way. And then... Uh, on the same night, the IU women were able to clinch the, an outright Big Ten title uh, without even needing to play, thanks to Maryland uh, disposing of Iowa. And so now Sunday's game at Iowa will will not mean I, – I, it, it will mean something, but it won't be uh, – the outright Big Ten t- title will not be hinging on it. And uh, just what an incredible season that, that the team has had. Uh, Coach Morin and, and the work that she has done to build the program – just such an enjoyable brand of basketball to watch, such an enjoyable team. Uh, has just been an absolute joy. I, I talk about our season is winding up with my uh, sixth graders, but I'm like, man, if you go watch one team, just go watch them. They know how to play. They do things the right way. They're entertaining, but they play hard and uh, don't back down from anybody. So, uh, you know, good uh, tip of the cap to them for being able to win that outright Big Ten title. Uh, on on Tuesday night, and uh, they were projected one seed still, as you would expect, and as they should be uh, in the latest reveal that came out for the women's tournament. And I don't think whatever happens on Sunday in Iowa City is going to change that at all. So great season for them. Hopefully they can cap it off with uh, yet another victory over Iowa on Sunday. All right, well, let me introduce my co-hosts for this week. Uh, Ryan and Jared are out tonight, but they'll be back on Saturday for the IU-Purdue postgame show. And here with me, though, he is a longtime high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana, the faculty advisor and social media manager for Delphi Bracketology, and the current president of the one-person Brad Underwood Micah Shrewsbury fan club. He is the coach, Brian Tonson. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach and it's Tonsoni time. 
Coach, I, I got to tell you, I was a little worried. We're doing coaches producing the show, and I'm hosting. I was a little worried that he may not have his own theme music queued up because he usually doesn't need to play it for himself. But uh, a man of great preparation, and uh, maybe he just likes to listen to it on on his own when in, in quiet moments when he when he just has some time. But uh, I, I should have known you'd be ready with it. But coach, what's on your mind tonight? Yeah, I got a little heads up to get the music ready, so I, I went diving deep into the the soundboard. But um, yeah, you know, I was a little disappointed. Jared asked me to uh, to be on the show when Illinois is playing tonight, uh, and Jay is probably you know surprised that I'm actually doing the show because Brad Underwood will be coaching here on my TV screen here in a little bit. So if I'm distracted. Uh, you know, I apologize to everyone, but, uh, no, congratulations to the women's team, just dominating performances. Uh, you know, you watch and, and, and you're always wanting to win and you always have a little concern about, you know, possible losses or whatever. And, and all of a sudden they're up big early. And, and, and if they have some adversity, they, they bounce back and they, they find ways to win. It's just a fun, fun basketball club to watch. And we wish them nothing but success going forward. So congratulations there. And again, a tragic situation at Michigan State, uh, and you don't ever want to to be a part of a loss. But you know, I, the way the game happened, uh, the good that comes out of it is maybe that community can find some healing through athletics and sports. I agree with your banner moment uh, tremendously. A big rivalry game coming up, and we're we're going to talk. Uh, with Greg Braggs in segment two, really good guy from Northern Indiana, big Purdue backer and a host of their post-game show, a solid guy despite his Purdue fandom. But he'll bring a lot of energy and some information to us. But that's what that's what we've wanted, Andy, for a long time, is Indiana basketball to be relevant again. And maybe we're not back at the heights where we want to, but you know, you're talking about a second or third place team in the Big Ten. You're talking about, uh, you know, some good basketball. And, uh, yeah, so let, let's go. And then two home games to end the year. And I think we are very close to being, um, you know, okay on Selection Sunday, as we'll talk here a little bit about some bracketology. First time in a long time that we might not have to stress uh, on, on that day. So a lot to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. That will be uh, That will be nice. I don't remember too many times recently where it hasn't been – uh, are they in or are they out? And, uh, and I know you feel this as well. Those are the times that people reach out to us even more. And uh, you feel a little bit more pressure to get the answer right on, on that particular team, both for your own uh, satisfaction and for those who follow the program. But uh, what we've got ahead this week, uh, as Coach said, we're going to talk a little bit of bracketology uh, in the opening segment and also a little bit about Xavier Johnson. Mike Woodson talked a bit about him and his uh, media availability today. Uh, segment two, we're going to do a bit of an IU Purdue preview with Greg Braggs, as, as Coach said, and then we'll hit a few questions in the mailbag to wrap things up, and all of that is coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But for now, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. This edition of Assembly Call is uh, brought to you just like all the shows on the Back Home Network. It's presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel you'll find. logos like two different versions of the Bison and so many more. Bottom line is that Homefield has something for fans and grads at pretty much every school with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable and the colors will last in many washings. Plus, you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through the Kelly School of Business. And what could be better than that? 
And even more exciting news to tie this in with the opening, uh, Home Field has teased today a Big Ten Champs shirt for the women's team that I believe they're gonna unveil. Uh, I think they said they would unveil it uh, Friday morning at 10 a.m. I believe uh, maybe some limited edition uh, nature to that. So be on the lookout for that. But uh, as with anything with Home Field, it will be uh, it will be amazing, I'm sure, and uh, really like some of the other designs that they come out in support of the women's program. I know when they had their relaunch of IU, uh, that was one that I picked up, and uh, and Jared has spoken uh, at great length about how lucky the shirt has uh, has been and what success has brought the program. So you can only expect the same uh, from the uh, the Big Ten Champ shirt. So looking forward to seeing the full design of that outside of the you know snippets that they've shown so far. Uh, but uh, if you have not yet gone to Homefield Apparel, you can go there and save 15% off your first order with the promo code HOME. Uh, once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right. Well, uh, I want to talk here a little bit first about bracketology. Uh, and Coach, uh, so I guess we'll, we'll kind of wrap up a little bit with, with all the different things that we're uh, we've got going on. I know you taped the podcast with uh, with your group at Delphi earlier this evening, uh, but but let's go back to the top four reveal from Saturday. I think a lot of people were surprised to see IU included at all, and I certainly, as I, I talked about in fielding the sixty eight earlier this week, was definitely surprised to see them as the top four seed. What what was your what was your reaction to that one, and what did you know, where they were in the mix revealed to you about what, what this committee uh, might be valuing. Yeah. I, I was, I was a little shocked uh, you're uh, that they were, I have to unmute here. Um, I was a little shocked that um, they were 13, uh, not so shocked to see them on the four seed line. Cause we had them 17 going into Saturday, the top five seed. So, you know, I, I thought maybe they could be included and, and then what it, the lesson to take away is I think the fact that they won some big quad 1A games and they won some games on the road. I'm thinking this committee, you need to have the wins and to get in, but then the seeding might be based on your your legit wins or your major wins. And, and those wins that Indiana has at home against Purdue, on the road against Xavier, on the road against Illinois, all teams are in the top six or seven seed line. I think that carried a lot of weight, and I also think that they appreciate Indiana's schedule inside the Big Ten and their non-conference uh, attempt going to you know play Arizona and those types of teams. And I think that's that's why they got they got bumped. And then is it going to be consistently applied across all seed lines? Is the question of all bracketologists, and and that's our job to try to figure out the committee. And, and so that that is where where we're at. Uh, in our group is wins get you in then metrics and non-conference schedule and and that gets you up or down when you start comparing team a to team b when they do their scrubbing and their and their seating in the process so i i think it was a a pretty good reveal uh i i think that they you know we always have issues uh with them but it, it's as you know we do this starting in november and get real heavy in january and february and they're doing that as well. So uh, I, I have a lot of respect for what the committee does, and then I just try to figure out uh, their reasoning instead of uh, spending a whole, whole lot of time putting my personal thoughts onto it. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, so we move move forward. Yeah, I, I thought the same about IU. It, it certainly felt like, and a couple of the other things that were, were mentioned on there seemed to make it feel like high-end road wins 
were very much valued by the committee. And I think road wins, um, as we've talked about on here before, have always really been a key point that the committee has looked at. But it, it definitely seemed like teams with those higher end road wins, not even so much neutral court wins, um, you know, there was there was more value placed on that. Maybe that's just trying to read into things. I, I will say, uh, in general, I, I usually watch the show. I try to take some notes to see if the committee chair is going to give up too much. Chris Reynolds didn't give up very much. I wouldn't say he was uh, he was pretty tight lipped in general. And I said earlier when I was talking about it, what I really enjoyed was, uh, you know, the one seeds. He would typically chime in, give a couple of sentences. You know, Alabama's got this record and and whatever. It got to Purdue, and he said nothing. Now, I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but I really enjoyed it. And in my head, I wanted to believe that it was totally intentional, that, uh, that yeah. he didn't say much. But it, it does make it a little bit harder because you can't you – know, you try to find a few nuggets here and there to take away, and so you're left to connect the dots a little bit after the fact with uh, what some of the differences might have been. But uh, that, that was probably the biggest takeaway for me. I don't think any of the teams uh, on the top you know, two, really even three seed lines were a surprise. I think there was a few threes that you could – uh, you know, the, the last couple threes where there was maybe some questions there. But I think in general, the teams, you had a pretty small uh, universe of teams to pick from. But, uh, you know, one of the other questions that Jared had put in here uh, that probably is a question that a lot of IU fans have is, yeah, so IU's already lost the Michigan State game. I know you guys put your uh, your bracket and seed list out today, I believe I saw on, on Twitter. And let's spin forward to, you, you know, if they lose at Purdue this weekend, what, what, what do those losses mean as you and the and the group at Delphi are looking at, at where IU might fall, obviously it depends a lot of what happens around them. But right. uh, how much do you you know how much do you think that drops them? I, I think at worst it, they go down to a five seed. Uh, you know, again, some of the reveal was the timing. When did the committee you know put Indiana at the thirteen? Was it before the the, the Northwestern loss? Uh, was it contingency? You know, there, the timing issue has been discussed in our circles quite a bit. Uh, did that affect the reveal on Saturday? So did they, in their eyes right now, would they still be that 13 or have they slid down because of the Mississippi or Michigan State loss? Uh, I think they're at the back end of the four seed line today. Uh, I think they're better than Miami. I think they're better than uh, Creighton on the five seed line. I'm trying to think who else I might have on that, that five Saint seed Mary's, line. St. Mary's was in there. St. Mary's. Was- and UConn, UConn. Was the other team mentioned, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think UConn might pass Indiana, but I think Xavier uh, also, who was in the four, uh, you know, th- their yeah, net is thirty-five, right? And, and they lost to Villanova. They have two quad three losses, where Indiana doesn't have those losses. So, I think Indiana's ahead of Miami, Xavier, and Creighton, which keeps them on the four line. So, a loss to Purdue will not help. Uh, that would put them, uh, you know, short of any changes in the cutoffs uh five and nine in quad one so you can't erase their wins their wins are on their record and um i i think at worst they're the top five after a purdue loss but then you're going to add a couple quad two wins at home hopefully and i think that balances out so andy i i think you're going to see indiana on the four or five seed line in most cases if indiana does happen to pull off the upset and win out then you could start seeing them creep up to where they're they might have a chance to get a three, but I, I think that's the highest they can be. But I'm looking at them as a four or five uh, going in, and that's top twenty. So I'm yep. pretty pleased with that. Yeah, that feels right to me. You really can't, other than the the volume of losses that that starts to create. 
neither of those in and of itself is a is a bad loss uh, right you know you take into account who you're playing what's going on uh, you know i don't think you can drop too much it, it obviously hurts you just in the sense that you would lose another game if they lose to purdue but yeah i think right now i, I haven't done mine yet for uh tomorrow we got to submit our feed seed lists for fielding the 68 so i'll probably work on that a little bit later tonight and figure out but yeah i think they're probably more toward the back of that four line at this point than they were earlier in the week um but i don't think in danger at this point of uh of dropping to a, a six i think that would they would need to lose some other games in order to do that yeah uh and the other thing just kind of taking a step back to look at the big 10 in general um iu and purdue the only teams mentioned in the top 16 reveal purdue was I believe at the time the the third uh, ranked number one seed there, but no other Big Ten teams in the mix. And as you know from doing this, there are a ton of Big Ten teams in the like seven eight range um, to a point where you you could have a whole seed line that is comprised of Big Ten teams in some of these areas, depending upon how you how you value them. So, uh, you know, I think how many teams at this point are you thinking get in, and and maybe which are some of the harder teams that you guys have had to to try to evaluate as you go through the process. Yeah, Andy, I think we had uh, the seven seed line last night after our meeting was all um, Big Ten teams. And then this afternoon when kids should have been doing social studies or math or something, I sent out some questions. And now we have two teams down on the eight seed line in Rutgers and Maryland. That's And I guess tomorrow during study hall we could flip them right back too, as you know, the seven, eight, nine seed line is there but we have wisconsin in i think that makes uh what nine teams in um yep. yeah if, if you include wisconsin i think wisconsin is uh solidly in the play-in game if you can say such language uh <laughs> with, with uh you know seating and everything so I, i'm looking at, at the, the spreadsheet now uh, northwestern's the the next best team with a lot of good wins but their metrics and they have some losses in in quad two that other teams don't when you start comparing them the question there is are their wins going to carry them up a seed line or two similar to what wisconsin did last year they they had a 24 net moved up to a three because they had solid wins northwestern has solid wins and, and and really they're they're probably in that seven eight range resume wise uh well with their metrics but they're you know, results move them up. We have them as a six and believe that's uh, a good spot for them right now. And then the rest, you can make a case for Michigan State being, uh, you know, up here at the six, seven line. Illinois has two really good wins on neutral uh, from early in the year, outstanding wins. And if the team, if the committee likes those elite wins, then that's going to keep Illinois. And we have Iowa down uh, at the bottom of all this middle and they have 11 quad one and two wins. And I've seen Iowa up in the six, seven range in, in some people's predictions. So it's going to be interesting because, again, then if you're in the six, seven, eight range, you're probably, you aren't favored to win the second round games. And then you'll get that stat of only, you know, one team from the Big Ten makes the sweet 16. And then you get that narrative that the Big Ten's not a, a good conference. But, I think it's been a very competitive conference. I think they're going to get good teams in, and, and I think that's they're going to be bunched in the end of the sixes to the to the nines, and then we'll see yeah, if they was, can pull off some upsets to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, I was pulling up a bracket matrix as of right now, and it's always a little bit weird because you got some that were done different days that are are factoring in. But for the purpose of this, 
in the eight teams between the last two sixes, the four sevens, and the first two eights, there are six Big Ten teams out of those eight teams. Um, And you've only got Providence and Duke sprinkled in to break them up. So uh, I think that tells you how closely packed they are. And that makes sense when you look at the Big Ten standings, which is a a complete uh, quagmire as you you look through that. So um, not not terribly surprising. Yeah, I had Wisconsin in as well. You look at some of these other teams in the bubble, and every time I do this, I keep thinking – I guess before they would have beaten Iowa last night, you look at it and you're thinking there's no way in the world they're still going to be in the field. And then you look at those around them and it, it becomes a little bit hard to exclude them. Uh, the team that's that's on the, the outside looking in at this point that is still in contention at least uh, would be Penn State, who got a win uh, at the, the against the, the corpse of Ohio State uh, this evening, uh, winning <laughs> winning that game, picking up a, a road win there. Uh, they finish Rutgers at home at Northwestern Maryland at home. Uh, certainly if they win two of those three, even that puts them at 10 and 10 in the league. Uh, I think they would have an interesting case. It certainly depends on what others around them do among the challenges for them. They really didn't beat anybody of note in the non-conference Furman uh, on a neutral court is probably their best win there. So that doesn't uh, help their case necessarily. So probably even a case of winning two or three, you need to do something in the Big Ten tournament. But they're really the a potential swing team. I don't think no matter what happens, I would be surprised if the Big Ten would get 10 in uh, at this point. But they're, they're the one who's not quite safe, but uh, also not in, at least when you when you look at things uh, in that regard. And, and to go back to one of the questions I asked before, you know, Maryland is a team that I've struggled a little bit to evaluate you know, road-wise, they haven't done uh, much of anything on the road. Their only two road wins have come against Louisville and at Minnesota. And so you try to spin forward to figure out, all right, what did I learn from the committee? Do I really believe that they're valuing road wins that much? And how might that impact a team that has basically none? Uh, so, you know, that that is what makes them a little bit tougher for me, even though they've got some, you know, metric-wise look really good. Uh it beat Miami, um, and and that helps uh, quite a bit as well. So interesting there. They've got two left on the road. They go to Ohio State, uh, the middle of the next week, and then they finish at Penn State in that in that game. So they've got a couple more chances to get road wins, maybe not marquee road wins, but at least ones that would help their uh, their case a little bit. And right now, that Ohio State wins a quad one, I think, because they're sixty eight. Uh... On the net this morning, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're clean. So how long are they going to? St- how long are they going to stay long. there? Right, I don't not think. long. And so, not long. Uh, that'll be a quad two win today. And, and so Penn State's sitting at two quad one wins instead of three. Um, but if Penn State wins out, it could, you know a lot of times the conference tournaments don't mean a whole lot up and down the seed list, but it might mean something for one or two teams. That if there's a couple spots open in the committee's eyes on that Thursday or Friday, if you if you win a game or two, you might be that team that makes that difference. I think that's where the conference attorneys. I do think they should make a difference. Uh, but yeah, I, it, yeah, I mean, if they do shown. something like what IU did last year, that could right. really right. Uh, I think bolster, Penn State's going to have to. But Maryland is a very interesting case. We had them as a seven line because you look at the the metrics and their efficiency numbers, and man, they're solid. It speaks six seven seed line, right? And then all of a sudden, you think they've won every game at home. Yeah, they beat Purdue at home, Indiana at home, Purdue at home. Uh, so then you start thinking, you know, when you have 
11 or 13 teams in, in, in three seed lines, you have to find something that defines who, who is above somebody else. And, and I know a lot of people get upset with inconsistencies because if you look at Maryland to Duke and you use one piece of information to make that change and then you go to the next one, you use something different. But I think that's what the committee uh, ends up doing in these tight, tight situations. Uh, I, I think Maryland will end up being – on the eight seed because of that road factor. When, when you have to look at those team and make some decisions, uh, I think, um, you know, it depends on what Duke does too. Duke has a chance to beat North Carolina at the end, which isn't a great win now, but uh, you have Duke and you have Kentucky and Texas A&M. All of those teams are in that seven, eight battle. Uh, yep. and, and, and those SEC teams are really making a push. So yeah, that, that, yep. that's the tough part of our job. Yep, I agree. All right, well, before we talk to Xavier Johnson real quick, um, maybe tell everybody where they can keep up with all the things that you guys are doing at Delphi. Yeah, we our, our website, DelphiBracketology.com, mostly for seed lists and, and brackets. Uh, we've been constantly wanting to put more uh, articles out, uh, but getting high school kids to write is somewhat uh, – you know, difficult. So, um, but, but we do try to get the seed list and our podcasts are on there. So you could there, and then uh, on Twitter, it's at Delphi brackets. We like to take uh, questions and 99% of them are good questions. And, and we try to respond back and we have a TV show, uh, internet TV show through uh, ISC sports network. Uh, and that tapes Tuesday afternoon. It comes out sometime, uh, you know, Tuesday, five, six, seven o'clock in studio show. It's really fun to to get in studio and Greg Rakestraw uh you've heard him on Colts broadcast and indie soccer uh big name here in Indiana uh hosts that and produces that then we do a, a bracket you podcast live streaming like we're doing here tonight uh, at 7 30 on Thursdays we have one more episode of that we may have uh, some Monday or Tuesday episodes we've had some guest people on as well so there's a few places where you can uh, find out uh, how wrong we are about the brackets <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so I've got fielding the 68 on the, the field of 68 network. I am not on tomorrow, uh, on Friday, but I'll be on again on Monday. We usually try to divvy it up a little bit, get some different voices on there. And, uh, actually I think I'm recording podcasts on the brink with Alec Bozich tomorrow. So that'll be up on inside the hall. And that's where the, the bracket projections that, uh, I, I have will be. So let's talk to Xavier Johnson real quick here before, um, before Greg arrives and we talk about that. So, you know, Woodson had some press availability uh, today. I think if you boil it down, you know, what he said, he's doing individual stuff, non but no contact at this point. Uh, so he's able to do some drills, which is certainly a positive. Um, and, and essentially said they're hoping next week for some of that, uh, that he was going to sit down with X and uh, see what he's thinking. And, and uh, but, but certainly expressed a desire to be able to, to get him in some, uh, some more contact drills before he's really able to bring him back and uh, was, was generally non-committal. I don't, and, and I don't think he knows enough to, I don't, I don't necessarily think he's hiding anything. Uh, I think it's just a little bit more a function of, of really being unsure uh, how, how X really is at this point. I mean, coach, as you, as you look at that and in that situation, let's assume um, let's assume that, that X is back and is able to go through uh, some contact practices, which I think is a absolute, you know, must before you would bring them back. I mean, how do, how do you reintegrate somebody like that, whether that's, you know, experience you'd fall back on from, from coaching, but what do you think is the best way to try to reintegrate a guy who was a starter at the beginning of the season was a huge uh, part of the team. I don't think you can flip the switch 
all the way back to, to what things were right out of the gate. Now, I, I think Woody said it best. He's going to sit X down and talk to him and see where he's at. And he wasn't sure whether he's going to start him or come off the bench. Uh, generally, if he's good enough to play and healthy enough to play, you put him back in the starting lineup. It might be you adjust his minutes and rotate Galloway back in. He doesn't play all the minutes that he would have played if he had been healthy. That's one way. The other way is you don't want to upset the, you know, all of the, the, the play and, and, and the, you know, the continuity that Indiana's had in winning nine out of 12 games. So do you bring him off the bench for that spark? Uh, but I think Coach Woodson's really good at talking to his players. I think we've seen evidence of that, of who stayed and who, who hasn't. And I, I think he's a pretty good communicator. He's going to have to be good in this situation because it's going to be difficult when, when, when he comes back, which is likely either the Iowa or the Michigan game or in the Big Ten tournament. That's late. It's really late to try to get that back into your lineup. But he's good, and you know uh, you're not going to pass up uh, that kind of play, especially when the bench production has been so up and down uh, for Indiana in the last four or five games. That uh, I don't know where it would be any, uh, you know, any worse than than some of the play that Indiana has gotten off the bench. So I would start him if he's healthy enough and go through the contact, and the doctors say he can go, and I believe he's in shape and he's mentally ready. I'd start him, but I might have a quicker hook. Um, and that depends on how you deal with Galloway. And I think Galloway's a team guy, coaches kid. He understands that. And I don't think he'll, he would pout for, for not starting. So yeah, I would start him, get him out there early, get him going, make sure he's nice and warmed up and, and not have him sit for too long. And then, then judge how much I would play him. But that's, that's what I would do with it with a caliber of player like X. Yeah. I think, I, I think the timing of the season really becomes difficult. And the fact that, you're looking at some of his minutes are going to come in the big 10 tournament when you're playing games back to back. And so what he can really handle during that time period is interesting without pushing him too far, but doing enough to get him ready to come back. Um, so I, I don't know that there's a, a great answer. I think, I think the positive, if you want to spin it as a positive, no matter what happens is this team has gotten so little spark off the bench of late, no matter which option you choose, whether that's bringing X off the bench for even a couple games and gradually working him back toward being a starter, or you put him in there and then you bring Galloway off the bench. I think no matter which of those two options you choose, it feels like that that gives this team something they haven't really had off the bench with any consistency of late. And the way that he kind of spells those guys and tries to keep two of them out there at a time, at least if you spin back to uh, when they were all healthy, I think you could make an argument for either of those approaches and uh, certainly just kind of see what's going on. But until he can get through the contact portion of things, I don't know that there's uh, much that we'll learn about it, even though I think everybody, uh, including X, is probably chomping at the bit for him to get back a little bit. But uh, more to come on that. We'll we'll figure it out from there. But uh, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, we're going to turn our attention to Saturday's rematch in West Lafayette. And we'll have a friend come from behind enemy lines to help us preview it. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, Greg Braggs? How we doing, Coach? <laughs> We're doing. Anytime I can talk to you, it's a good day. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Even, you ask even, my wife, she might give you a different perspective on that. Well, she of course. She me every day, though. <laughs> I know, of course. No, I appreciate so, you guys having me on. I'm excited to be here. I, I've been a fan, even though I'm on the other side of the tracks. Uh, even before we became friends, Brian, you know, I've told you before that I've been a fan of what you guys do. And, um, you know, I, I think I said it on my show and I had some people mad at me on the boiler side of things. But I think this is um, the benchmark for, you know, basketball podcasts and, and, and sports podcasts in general. I look up to you guys in a big way for what I try to do with with what we're doing with boilers coverage. So thank you for, you know, the inspiration in a lot of ways, honestly. Appreciate yep. it. Thanks for, yeah, thanks thank for trying you. to soften us up. We're really, you know, yeah, you gotta soften, <laughs> you're exactly right. Soften you up before I hit the ball. But before we get into the IU Purdue thing, I mean, if I, if I start screaming involuntarily, it's because I have the Illinois Northwestern game right to my left of me and I'm keeping an eye on it. And I, I have to root for Illinois against my better judgment because they can beat Northwestern. It gives Purdue an opportunity to clinch a share of the Big Ten title on Saturday, but we need Northwestern to lose for once, and it feels like they haven't lost in weeks. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of a no- – Illinois drives me crazy because you talk about rivalries. And this team – that team, they they try to act like everyone's their rival even though no one is their rival. And it's like I think we can at least start there where we agree <laughs> on our hatred for Illinois and just how annoying they are. It's like – you are, you don't have a right. You think Missouri is your rival. They're not even in your conference. Now you're trying to make Purdue or IU your rival. Like you have no rivals. Why are you wearing an Illinois sweater, Coach, Brian? Now Coach I'm loves, confused. You're gonna know that. Uh, you're gonna know that Illinois is doing good because Coach is a big Underwood fan. So if he starts kind of like fanning himself, that's how you'll know. You won't even need to watch your own TV. You'll know from Coach's reaction well, he needs to how to Illinois pick it up. Now. Underwood, you know, tonight <laughs> he's getting out coached right now. Uh, yeah. I know Northwestern's hot. They're playing some great basketball, so I, I don't want to sell them short. Northwestern is no joke, uh, but, you know, but that's Greg, I, I uh, start screaming at any moment. That's why. W- w- we got you. I, uh, are, we're sponsored by Home Field Apparel, and, and I think uh, I have, you know, mortgaged the house to buy Home Field Apparel, and so I have so many sweatshirts and shirts that I, you know, there's Illinois playing tonight, and it was in he the just, closet, so, yeah, I, he's, so I put he's it just on. veered so. into a – yeah, he's just – you know, really veered into a space. You know, I had a Youngstown State shirt on today. No one's no one's being harmed by somebody wearing a penguin <laughs> playing basketball, but you can't. Yeah, that's uh, it's concerning to get the uh, the ones inside the conference. I can't I can't quite pull the trigger on those purchases. Oh, I love college but, gear. So, all right, you guys ready I to f- fire away? All right. Yep, absolutely. Right. So we got um, I don't know twenty or so minutes, Greg. We got a few questions. If we go a little bit longer than that, that's fine. We can punt some questions that we got in our our last segment to to later so we'll uh we'll go from there yeah thanks everyone in the chat mob for being here and here we go 
This is Ethan Happ, and I never listen to the assembly call, especially the episodes that Ryan is on. Man, we keep with that. We got to get the Jackson Kohler drop from all his traveling the other night. Uh, anyway, all right, welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Andy Vines. I'm here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And uh, our main segment tonight is brought to you by our new sponsor, True Blood Real Estate. Jim Trueblood is a longtime friend of Jared's and the founder and owner of True Blood Real Estate, where he's been helping people in Indiana buy and sell properties since 2006. And starting this season, True Blood Real Estate is the exclusive and official real estate partner of IU Athletics, with a team of talented agents to serve you in Bloomington and throughout the state of Indiana. So if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in Indiana, you need to be you need to experience the True Blood Advantage. Go to TrueBloodRE.com to learn more. That's TrueBloodRE.com. And tell them the assembly call sing. All right, it's time to turn our attention to Saturday's rematch against Purdue. And Coach and I had to stop talking about bracketology here. So, and to do that, uh, we wanted to to bring in somebody who knows the Boilers uh, very well. And so, we are pleased to welcome in the host of the Purdue basketball postgame show, Braggs in the Stands. It's Greg Braggs, who uh, I believe had Coach on uh on his show earlier this week so you guys have been uh talking about this game for for days now so uh, (laughs) greg welcome we're happy to have you yeah i appreciate it again for having me on um you know you know coach tonsoni is a good friend of mine now and and somebody that i look up to as a mentor he's a he's you know he's taught me a lot in this this podcast media game and i i keep learning from the best as far as i'm concerned with you guys so um yeah it's it's fun to come on and, and chop it up i'll try to be nice (laughs) <laughs> All right, we appreciate it. Um, so, you know, before we get into a little bit about the game, you know, a lot has been made of of uh, the Ed versus TJD uh, argument. What, what's your What's your general take on you know Greg Doyle's assertion that maybe Ed could be the national player of the year and Trace could be the Big Ten player of the year? Uh, how do you How do you view that? Can that is that even something that can or should happen? And and how do you evaluate these two guys who are both dominant but in a little bit different ways? No, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Purdue still has to win the Big Ten, right? And if they don't, then that opens the door for those kind of discussions. Now, if Purdue wins the Big Ten, then Zach Eadie's National Player of the Year and Big Ten Player of the Year, and I don't think there's even a, a, a worthy discussion of it. But at the same time, Northwestern's nipping at their heels, and Trace Jackson Davis has played phenomenal here over the last eight weeks. Phenomenal. It's not like he was playing poorly before that, but the way he elevated his game once Big Ten play started, uh, you know, you can't, you know, thumb your nose at that or whatever the saying is. I mean, he has been unbelievable and every bit as good as Zach Eady. And Zach Eady has been unbelievable. So it's like, it's, it's you know, when when fans try to make comparisons, you you, you start to go down this road of trying to denigrate the other. It's impossible with these two. And, you know, Trace Jackson Davis playing 40 minutes a game. I saw a stat that said, you know, Zach Eady got to sit like the last 10 minutes of the Ohio State game on Sunday where Purdue won by like 30. Trace Jackson Davis hasn't sat for like he's sat for less minutes than Zach Eady did in that game alone for the entire month of February. And you saw that fatigue factor start to set in against Michigan State. So, you know, I'm not going to dock. Trace Jackson Davis for that. You know, that's what he has to do to carry the Indiana Hoosiers. Now, Purdue's like this well-oiled machine, and Zach Eady obviously is making everyone better around him, but the environment is that much more conducive 
for him to be successful. And Trace Jackson Davis got to have that similar environment where the depth of their bigs in particular could help him with this fatigue that's starting to set in for him, then it could be even closer than it is. So yeah, I've been unbelievably impressed by Trey Stacks and Davis. His passing this season when the double team comes has been outstanding, you know, and, and you just don't sell either of these guys short. So I think the conversation is fair, but I do ultimately think it's going to come down to Purdue closing the door for the big 10 regular season championship. If this is even a conversation to be had let's talk about how trace Jackson plays and it's going to go up against uh, your boilers as a, a fan of the boilers. What concerns you going into Saturday's game about how trace plays and, and what do you think uh, that could give uh, Purdue some trouble? Well, it's just what I said. I mean, his passing when the double team comes and Purdue's defense is predicated on doubling the post and trace Jackson Davis is great at passing double team comes he's able to find his man and or or even do the skip pass when it's not the first guy that's available he's able to find the guy across court and some of these are one-handed whip around passes and he's just done an incredible job at that um you know so that's the number one concern and then if you know it's it's always about foul trouble right who's going to be the one that goes to the bench first with foul trouble and if zach Eady gets a couple, which he's been great about staying out of foul trouble all season long with the exception of maybe like one or two games, which is to me one of the most impressive things about Zach's season. But if he gets in foul trouble, now Trace Jackson Davis is in the advantage with these other guys. All due respect to Caleb First and Mason Gillis. and these. Now all of a sudden Trace can see the hoop clear, and when he can see the hoop clear, he's going he's gonna to give you that, that work. And so that's my biggest concern. You know, you have to, you know, Trace is going to get his one way or the other, but you have to make him work for it. And that's going to be the, the the key, you know, and, you know, this pick and roll game, when you talk about Trace Jackson Davis kind of setting that up, you know, Purdue had trouble with that at Assembly Hall. And, you know, you had guys like Trey Galloway coming around and getting wide open floaters and, and Jalen Hood Shafino is, is really talented and, and, you know, when Zach Eady's, you know, given that drop coverage, he's going to give you that shot. And, you know, and and that all surrounds Trace Jackson Davis as the engine of that. And and I think he sets the offense up nicely. And, and I, I just think Mike Woodson has kind of figured out how to coach against Purdue here these last three games. So they're going to present more problems. It's going to be close, just like it was last year at back here. You know, you know, people are like, oh, Purdue's going to, you know, you know, blow them out because it's at Mackey. I do not think that's the case. I think the pressure of the game makes everyone play tighter. And I just think when in, to an X's and O's standpoint, IU does know what the recipe is to beat them. And Purdue's aware of that too. So it's just a war of attrition at this point. Yes. Yeah, so as you look at personnel wise, uh, you know, IU's got a couple guys in uh, Galloway to a certain extent, and certainly Tamar Bates. Uh, and I think in general, you find this with, with, role players who really play well in home environments and might struggle yeah. uh, away from there. Who, who are some of the guys who over the course of the season for Purdue have really uh, stepped it up in games at Mackey, but, but may not have had big games when they played in Bloomington or, or have struggled away from home. Well, I mean, I think the first person you go to is Mason Gillis. I mean, I'm not going to say he's played poorly on the road. Purdue's been a very good road team all season long. But there's something different about that Mackey Arena air. I and mean, he hit nine threes against Penn State 
And, you know, you, you'd have thought it was Steph Curry out there. And, you know, if Mason Gillis is going to shoot like that, it's over. You know, when you got in a, you know, when you, you go outside of Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer and Zachy, now you have a scorer coming off the bench in Mason Gillis, who, who started most of his career. And now he's playing behind Caleb first in the starting line coming off the bench. Now you, you have a contribution like that. It's going to be tough for them to do anything. You know, another another guy that's starting to emerge is Trey Kaufman Wren. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman and he plays behind Zach Eady, so he plays limited minutes, but he's been starting to find himself here lately. And we were like halfway through the season starting to get nervous about how he was acclimating to Big Ten play. And then against Ohio State, all of a sudden he kind of reemerged and showing the top 50 kind of talent in the state that he had when he came in before he redshirted that he was. So if that foul trouble were to occur, I think he's somebody that could all of a sudden surprise you in some ways. And then I think maybe a quiet, you know, a, a, somebody that maybe not everyone realizes David Jenkins jr. Coming off the bench. Uh, this guy is a veteran that's played at three different schools before he got here, UNLV and Utah and, He's a guy that's close to 2,000 points on his career. He's a high-volume scorer playing behind Braden Smith. And, again, if there's foul trouble or whatever, if you Matt Painter's riding the hot hand, David Jenkins Jr. at Mackey Arena has been really good. He gives that veteran presence. If Indiana's ball pressure is overwhelming some of the younger guys, that, that full-court press or, or even just you know the pressure they give in the half-court sets, you know, a guy like David Jenkins Jr. has been there and done that. So those are probably the three guys that 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 come to mind first and foremost. I tell you, I, so, I like the Jenkins kid uh, a lot, just as as an athlete, as a leader. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I've been able for Delphi Bracketology cover a few Purdue games and see him in the media room. Uh, I think he's got that personality that that helps bring teams together. Uh, whether he's scoring or not scoring or or having a good or he j- he's just impressive as a young man, uh, and so uh, I didn't mean to interrupt Andy, but I want to go back to what 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 how is Purdue going to play different? Especially, you said uh, you think Coach Woodson has a, has a kind of the recipe and knows how to coach against Purdue, and it includes heavy pressure on guards, trying to make it difficult for that pass to get into Edie, and Indiana's had some success. In the first half at Bloomington, not so much in the second half. What do you think, uh, you know, Coach Painter and Purdue is going to do to offset that kind of pressure uh, on the guards that uh, recently has had? You guys have had a little bit of struggle in that area, but you yep. got some, you got some, you know, tough-minded kids. How, how are, what are they going to do to, to offset that strategy from Indiana? Well, I think the thing you saw kind of break out if you go and watch the Ohio State game is. They were relying so heavily on Braden Smith to break the press by himself, you know, and teams have figured out, even if you're not Iowa, who's this amazing pressing full court pressing team, you can still give a soft full court press, so to speak, where you're just slowing them down to get across the half court line because it's so imperative for Purdue to get across that line, to get into their half court set, to get into Matt Painter's bag of tricks of his million plays that he has in his play sheet. And you know, if you slow them down and now all of a sudden they're getting in their set with 20 seconds on the shot clock, 
that puts more pressure on them to execute faster as opposed to getting a 26 or 27 seconds. That makes all the difference in the world because there's so many wrinkles in the offense. So breaking the press is so key. And they've just been asking Braden Smith to do way too much to get across the half court line literally by himself. And he can do it, but he's wearing himself out in the process. When you talk about fatigue, he's, he's been fatigued trying to do this on his own. And I think in the Ohio state game, you started to see how Matt Painter has made it a point of emphasis to guys like Ethan Morton, who's the glue guy of the starting lineup and uh, Brandon Newman, even coming off the bench, uh, you know, in his limited role, you know, when they kick it to those sides, take it up the court when you have an opening, don't wait for the, the, the defender to come back to you to throw it back to Braden and play this, you know, this little back and forth dance, just get the ball across the court and then figure it out from there. And I think there was some hesitancy, you know, in the first few times they started to see the press. Now they're seeing it almost pretty much every game at this point. And now you saw Ethan Morton taking the bull by the horns and and taking it across himself. And even at times attacking the rim once he's broken the press, as opposed to just waiting back and setting up the offense, getting towards the rim and starting that trickle down effect of the defense collapsing and then kick, 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 bang down the well. That's, that's, I think one of the biggest changes you might see from Purdue. They're not going to be as timid when the press comes. Cause I think they've, they've seen it enough now in the last two weeks. I, I think that was an adjustment that uh, they made at, at Bloomington. And maybe it was because of the lead was double digits and they needed to go and get a lot of possessions. But I thought they went to Edie early. They didn't run some of their complicated, you know, the Zoom handoff. We talked about this last night, the the triple floppy underneath, uh, that kind of action. They just got across half court and threw it into him real quick. Uh, and so whether that was because of the score or whether that was just we don't want to spend a lot of time Uh, being pressed and being pressured even in the half court. So I I do think that's going to be something interesting, Greg, to watch is how quick do they get that ball into Edie uh, or do they go back to some of that bag of tricks uh, because that does give the defense a lot of time to put pressure on those guards. I thought that was an interesting adjustment. 100%. So, Coach, a question for you, kind of a similar question on the IU side of things. You know, knowing how the first matchup played out, you you've watched Purdue a lot, even for being there. You know what are some wrinkles that you might throw in if you're uh, if you're IU? There's obviously certain things that have worked well in these past few matchups, as Greg mentioned. But what are some maybe some different things or things to look for uh, from your perspective on the IU side? Yeah, it's it's the age old question: Do you let Edie get his and lock down everybody else, or do you try to you know um, you know try to double him and 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 that if you double him i would think that you're going to throw some multiple things coach adrania said that uh, going into the first meeting sometimes you'll double sometimes you won't try to slow him down that way i don't know that any teams had success doing that uh but i do like pressuring uh the guards and that's not a critique of the guards it's just if you get into them uh it's a longer entry pass uh it speeds up uh, as greg said it speeds up the offense where guys might make quicker decisions and that then gives a chance for mistakes to be made but i i you could either double the post or guard the post or you could guard the perimeters and make him not get the ball into the post i think indiana did that really well in the first half and then purdue adjusted and and indiana couldn't get that uh, ball out of the post in in the second half so for for me uh man we don't shoot a lot of threes. If 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 Indiana had a, a three point attack, I would say let Edie get twos and we trade threes for twos. I do think you gotta. I think pace is important. 
I think you got to get fast break looks and hit some threes for for Indiana because they're going to score. I mean, Purdue Purdue is going to going to score the basketball and especially at home. So, um, you know, I would double at times. I, I wouldn't. I think Trace Jackson Davis did a really good job in that first half of pushing them off the block, and I think you got to push them off so that jump hook has a chance of finding some rim. Uh, if he's close to the rim, it's just a drop uh, in the basket. He's just a, the, one of the most difficult players to guard that I can remember. Uh, I can only maybe think – I'm not comparing him to Lou Alcindor because he had a heck of a, a pro career. But, um, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when he went through at that time, was so big and so different than everyone else that it right. really took some creative ways to, to guard. Um, but um, – yeah, I, yeah, I would we, run him. We, we actually had the the pleasure of having Zach Eady on our show on Tuesday, which was like really huge for what we were trying to do. And somebody in the chat said that, and we brought it up to him. Somebody compared him to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and you should have seen his reaction to that. He was <laughs> laughing. He's like, well, we're talking about the one of the greatest players of all time. I don't think I'm at that level. And <laughs> you, you appreciate Zach's humility. The other, the other thing that I think you have to look out for with Purdue is at Assembly Hall – Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith were gun shy and they, you could tell the moment and the, the crowd, you guys in the first halves at assembly hall, it's terrible. The first half is terrifying because it's just like the, 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 the fans are in there so early and it's just so loud that first half, like you cannot wait to get to the halftime, you know, the buzzer because it, it, it quiets people like go get some food and shut up. Like <laughs> Jesus, it's insane. But you see the effect it has on Purdue who plays so consistent. And then when they go there, they don't look like themselves, especially in those first halves and Braden Smith and Fletcher lawyer, I think were the best example of that, where they didn't take shots that they had available to them. And so at Mackey it's reversed. The, the crowd is for you. And the, the the those waves of momentum, you know, is I think Boiler fans are hoping help you know the confidence level of a Braden Smith and Blush lawyer who are still freshmen, even though they're dynamic and are going to have illustrious careers with Purdue. And so that's going to be the key too is when guys are going under screens with Braden, he's got to be willing to pull the trigger and shoot the three. You can't just expect Edie to do everything. And, and Fletcher Lawyer, in a large extent here in the last week or so, two weeks, has started to become held at bay. It, teams are giving him, as Brian Newbert, who covers for Golden Black Time, he calls it the Sasha Stefanovich treatment, and Brian knows my affinity for my guy Sasha. But that is what Fletcher is seeing now, where they're running him off the three-point line, and he he has an ability to go to the bucket and, and has some creativity with handles and passing game. But those two guys gotta have confidence to shoot the ball when or or take their opportunities when they're there and not be gun shy because they absolutely were first time around facing IU so that's something to look out for too is how they played yeah so uh hey last last question for you Greg more more of a macro question uh on this I mean what's your uh, what's your sense of the the overall feeling of the Purdue fan base about the team uh, at this point obviously the beginning of the season was, uh, it was certainly a surprise more than what anybody could have expected coming yeah. into the season, given what they lost, had this, you know, a little bit of a, a swoon there with some of these road games and the tough road environments. Not like anybody's really winning on the road in the big 10, except apparently Northwestern tonight at, uh, at Illinois to the chagrin of both of you. Um, but you know, what, what is there, you know, still that sense of confidence around the team or is it a little bit more, 
uh, worry about what might happen in the postseason and and some of the uh, you know some of the echoes of the past kind of coming up. What's what's your sense of how people are feeling right now? Yeah, it's a very fascinating fan base. I, I, I I'm a Cubs fan too, and I I see so many sim- similarities between the two fan bases where there's this gloom and doom feeling, this waiting for that bad moment, the curse, you know, with the Cubs and. And Purdue fans are like that. They're always on edge. They're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, and you know, when the Cubs finally broke through after their 108-year drought, you know, you could feel it coming the couple of years leading up to it where the confidence level started to change. And it wasn't all gloom and doom. And you'd go into an NLCS game, and I'm walking into Wrigley, and the fans are excited and not scared of what's going to happen. And, and I feel like Purdue is is gravitating towards that moment because they've been so close here. I feel like they're knocking on the door at a Final Four the last four or five years. And and you feel like, well, if they keep putting themselves in that position, they're eventually going to break through. And that's how it felt with the Cubs. And and to me, that's that's where they're at. Now, last year, when they were the number one team in the country for a short moment and, and top 10 all year, and they had a lottery pick with Jaden Ivey, most of the fan base was pretty pessimistic about what they could do when once they got to March because they had taken so many gut punches from the Ron Harper Jr. buzzer beater to you guys with Rob Finnessy in the corner over my guy Sasha to take him down. They, they, they There was like eight court storms last year on Purdue, and, and each time it kind of hit into the psyche of the Purdue fan base. And by the time March came around, I think people were fearing the worst. Now, with this team, as you mentioned, they had no expectations going into the season. And they've been such a breath of fresh air with their poise and maturity and the leadership of Zach Eady and guys like David Jenkins Jr. who have a small role but play it so well coming off the bench. And their unity, like last year's team, wasn't as connected as this team is. Ironically, their records are identical from this year to last year, but it does not feel the same because the gut punches were just so much different and they were spaced out last year where this team was 22 and one at one point. And they've just far exceeded expectations where last year's team just barely maybe met expectations or even fell short of them because they didn't win a big 10 title. They lost in the big 10 tournament championship and they, you know, the, the fateful loss to St. Peter's in the sweet 16 round which was just brutal for Purdue fans who were like, this is a perfect spot. And then this guy with a mustache is taking you down it. This year's team, they're kind of playing with house money, but you'll never hear a Purdue fan say that because now that we're at this point, now that they want them to break the curse, they want them to get to the final four for the first time since 1980. And I don't think you're going to hear anybody when they, you know, if they, if they were to fall short of that, be like, well, they, you know, you'll hear a few people, you know, rationalize it in that way. But I think ultimately, People are so death starved in West West Lafayette for them to break through that there will be more negative than positive in the immediate. And then maybe a few months down the road, they'll change their attitude towards what this team is. And a lot depends on if Zach wants to return next year too, as far as how much house money are they playing with this year? Because last year it was kind of like a last dance scenario with knowing they had five seniors leaving. So, you know, it, it's interesting to watch this fan base kind of twist themselves into a mental pretzel, you know, and, and the, the losing three or four certainly took a hit to their comp, to our confidence, but this team is a little different. 
they do show poise. They show maturity, even the young players and Zach Eady. Now he's playing, you know, uh, the full amount of minutes. He doesn't share him with Travion Williams. And he's such a great leader, such a dominant force, national player of the year. Matt Painter could win coach of the year this year with the job he's done. There is a, a it's like that, like I said, with the Cubs where it, that it started to shift with that confidence and you will just have to wait and see. I mean, March is a coin flip and maybe it's unfair to, um, you know, uh, judge, you know, a Matt Painter resume against it because he hasn't had the success in uh, March Madness. And I know IU fans love to give Purdue fans their, their crap for the lack of success they've had in March, as opposed to what IU has had in their history. But I think it is only a matter of time with Matt Painter. I have a lot of confidence in that. He's just kind of been in his wheelhouse, rotating these recruiting classes that fit his system perfectly. It's a well-oiled machine. They have really talented players coming in again next year. It just continues to roll over on itself. You've got guys redshirting that would never redshirt on another Big Ten team. So, you know, as that keeps rolling over, they keep putting themselves in Sweet 16s, get to an Elite Eight here and there. Then all of a sudden, the expectation level changes from, hey, this is awesome. We went to a Sweet 16 like eight years ago with Chris Kramer or whatever, and, and those teams are are fondly loved, you know, by the fan base to where now if you lose in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight, you're considered a failure to the fan base, at least in the immediate moment. So, you know, that's where I think the expectation level has started to slowly change, and that's a good thing, even though when they don't meet the expectation, it hurts like hell. So that's my long-winded answer, but I'm yeah. excited to see what they can do. Greg, share with everyone um, what what you do and, and your work. Uh, you do a lot of things. You do the, the Purdue postgame. <laughs> you do – you, you uh, also have uh, a new media role in Chicago. We, I, I would think we have uh, maybe some Chicago fans around here. But share where you can, we can find your work if we want to venture into at least a little boiler land every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see us, you know, see what the other side of the tracks are saying, you know, we do our show. And my show is called Brags in the Stands. You can see it over my shoulder. That's the logo. But we've been call, titling our shows Boilers in the Stands to get people to understand like what we're talking about because brags in the stands is, is something that came from Chicago sports coverage. And a lot of people know me more for what I do on the Chicago sports scene, specifically with the Chicago bears. And so you can find me at brags in stands on Twitter or brags in the stands on YouTube or Facebook, where we talk predominantly Purdue basketball, doing post-game shows, just like you guys. And I'm literally mirroring everything you guys do and just putting it in a boiler box. And I appreciate all the all the little tips. And I'll, I'll try to throw you some my way, but I, you don't need my guidance. I know that. But if I have any to lend, I'll try uh, because I appreciate what you guys have shown me the template. But then, yeah, like Brian said, I, I'm with CHGO, which is a fairly new Chicago sports media company. And for those of you tuning in that are, you know, diehard assembly call fans, you, you might remember Will DeWitt and, and he's one of my, you know, one of my co you know, our partners or coworkers, whatever you want to say. He, he does a extensive research and shows with CHGO bears, which is what I'm a part of as well. We do pre and post game shows for Chicago bears during the season. And we have shows five days a week with, you know, our Bears show and Cubs and White Sox and Blackhawks and the Chicago Fire and, and the Chicago Sky and everything in between. 
So yeah, working with Will DeWitt and, and he, I know he's from this neck of the woods. He still lives in Bloomington. Uh, so it's, it's been a lot of fun for me. I'm just a bricklayer who kind of, uh, manipulated my way into the media world through uh, harassment of guys like coach Tonsoni and, and others within Chicago media. And it's been a lot of fun because it was a lifelong dream of mine. And so now I'm kind of in my wheelhouse now with what I'm doing personally. So I appreciate your support as always coach, you know, that I tell you that ad nauseum and I will never stop saying how much I appreciate your well, support. Thank you. It means a lot. Greg, Greg's a real dude, man. He's from the region. I'm, I'm not from the region, but very close from Laporte. Uh, he, he lives up at Crown Point, correct? Is the is, yep. is where yep. you're at? Uh, that's why he likes Sasha. 2004. Yeah, um, he's just a genuine guy. He, and, and yes, uh, for a couple hours, I'm not going to like him on Saturday. But as soon as the buzzer goes <laughs> off, uh, I, I'm going to shake his hand, give him a big hug. But he um, d- does a lot of good things uh, in the sports uh, broadcasting, uh, and, and I'm a Bears fan, so I, I, I tune in and, and appreciate his coverage. But we we appreciate you having me on yesterday, uh, and. and you know, we wish that you enjoy the game. Obviously, we both want different outcomes. Oh, but Illinois. Thanks for what you're doing. Literally, the pathetic fighting Illini. <laughs> they're down like 20 at the half at their house. So now that's going to take a little air out of not. I mean, it's IU Purdue. It's going right. to be a, a, a madhouse on Saturday night. But <laughs> there was this chance it could have Big Ten championship implications attached to it which the trophy would be there. It would, it would change the dynamic of the, the moment. And now Illinois is not holding up to their end of the bargain as pathetic as they are. <laughs> Coach Tonsoni and I hear Brad you. on like Brad needs to start yelling some more, or whatever he needs to do to get this team to wake up in the second half. Never, <laughs> never could have imagined that, I, that I'd be leaning on Illinois to do something for me this year, but I should have known better. So well, that's something we can all agree on is, the patheticness of the fighting Illini. They are tonight. So thanks for being on, bud. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Yeah, we yeah, appreciate it, Greg. Nice thanks so much. You. Yeah, nice meeting you, Andy. All right, thanks a lot. All right, when we come back, we're going to hit a couple of quick questions from the mailbag and then uh, wrap things up. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash match. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Braggs, I got a great Jenkins story. So I'm down 
watching him warm up right off the bench, and some some IU fan is just ragging him left and right, left. It's it's just merciless. It's awful. And every shot he's taking, brick, brick, brick. And and David, you know, he's got that little crazy smile. He just kind of looks, stares the guy down, and then the guy leaves. So the next shot he takes, he swishes, and it was right in front of me. I go, swish. And it took him like two seconds – and he turned around and he just kind of laughed. Um, but but he's he's just he you know he's uh, again I hope he struggles on Saturday. But you do hope for what, that that he uh, plays well because that that's a that's a decent guy, man. Um, yeah, you know. Well, and that's what I always, feel like. That... Go ahead. I'm sorry. He just always praises his teammates, and you could tell he's been yep. in basketball what six seven years, I think, uh, right with yep. all the transfers and stuff. But yeah. And, and that's what he said. Well, when we had him on uh, like a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever, and he was great, um, really hu- humble and nice. And the thing that stood out was like he thought when he was coming here that he was going to be a starter, you know, looking at the the, the, right. the roster and saying, oh, there's freshman here. I'm going to start get my 16, 18 points a game. And then practice starts and you start to see how good Braden Smith is. And he was like, oh, okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. And instead of not – instead of going against that and, and, and fighting that, you know, he embraced that role and it's taken him a little bit as a volume shooter to get adjusted comfortably to that role and, and find his shot within limited reps, but he has found it. And and I think he's a huge secret weapon for Purdue because they're going to need that kind of experience and maturity when they get to the tournament in those moments of, dire stress you need a guy that's a little more calm cool and collected and been there and done that so i think having him coming off the bench in the tournament is going to be something that potentially could save them in a game so we'll see well thanks again we appreciate it we'll let you go say hello to that wife and kid of yours yep i'm gonna uh, swear at the tv for the next 10 minutes and try to (laughs) rally the Illini troops, but I don't think it's going to work. They're down 18 with 20 minutes to go. So not feeling great, but uh, have a good night guys. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Of course. Talk to you later. We'll see you. Yeah. Ready for the mailbag there. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll just hit a couple of these. And then uh, I know Jared said he was going to maybe do some in the community. So I I flagged a couple to, uh, that we can kind of hit. Hopefully. All righty. Here we go. Wrap it up. Right. This is Tim Priller, and I never miss an episode of the Assembly Call. All right, and welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and it is now time for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and join at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, for this one, I don't have a ton of time, so I'm only going to do a couple of these. Jared, though, for those uh, part of the community, sometimes we'll do, uh, not just sometimes, every Friday, uh, we'll do Banner Friday. And so I think he said he would hit the rest of these, whatever we didn't get to today in there. So pick a couple and we'll try to knock these out as best we can and, uh, and go from there. So first one, Coach, comes from Kerry. Uh, says narratives at the beginning of the season was that we were a very deep team. The narrative now is that we have no depth. Uh, I, the, both those check out, I would say. Uh, what, what, in your opinion, is a reason for the change? Uh, would have thought injuries throughout the year would accelerate the development of several players to some degree. Seems like it has stunted some of that. Uh, just kind of where do you feel that falls? Is that on the individual players? Is that the staff? Um, and maybe is that a fair way to even look at things 
from early in the season what we thought to where we are now, or is there maybe a little bit more to it than that in your view? Yeah, I, I will have to agree with Kerry. I'm a little surprised um, that that the you know the bench has not been more productive, which would allow uh, for more rest for your starters, and we wouldn't have to be answering, our, "Is this team fatigued?" Uh, I, I'm shocked. I think it it falls on the players to be ready when their opportunity presents itself to perform. Uh, so I think you know I, I don't want to be wishy washy here uh, on the answer. I don't know that it's one or the other. Um, I, I think what happens is if there's some doubt in, in a game or two or in practice, then all of a sudden the coaches don't trust and the coaches need to win games. And what happened was Indiana was 10-6. and six, And in order to get where Indiana is now, which is a four or five seed, you had to win a bunch of games. And, and if the trust isn't there, you're not comfortable playing major, major minutes. Uh, and, and so – you know, how do you get there? You get there by playing in games and going through the ups and downs. But I don't know that Coach Woodson had, you know, you, you couldn't afford to not make the tournament this year, in my opinion, uh, for recruiting and momentum of the program. So you had to shorten your bench. And I thought I thought he had too big a bench last year, and I think this year he's got too short a bench. Uh, but I think I understand why why they're going that route. I'm just worried about the fatigue that it, that – mental and physical that happened, especially when you want to make a tournament run. Um, but, but, but some of it is, you know, it, it's individual. Each individual has some different things. I think the physicality in the post uh, for Renew, he's had to learn, you know, do that every two or three days, which is different than even the high level of high school that he played at. Uh, and the fouling has been an issue with him. Other than that, I th- still think he's playing at an okay pace. I think Tamar's the one that is a little bit shocking that he hasn't been consistent in his second year. Uh, I do think that uh, it's a strange fit for him to be a kick-out three-shooter instead of a, a guy getting stuff run for him. Uh, I, I'm not sure that, you know, uh, I think that adds something to it too, and that's not a criticism of the scheme. I mean, sometimes you don't know till you get someone in into the program if they're going to be able to, to, to fit. Miller Cop has made the adjustment and found a fit. I don't think that Tamar has understood uh, that. Not that he's not trying, uh, but I think that's a that's a reason there. And then you've had you've had the injuries um, fit, and even even Geronimo being hurt has hurt his opportunities to to play some down the stretch. So, yeah, that's. I don't know if that's a great answer, Kerry, but um, I, I think it falls on on everyone a little bit. It, yeah, it's interesting. Some of the stuff you you bring up. You know, the injuries, I think it forces everybody to move over a seat to a certain extent. And yep. and maybe now the role that you could have provided, being asked to provide depth, you're asked to provide a little bit more, but only in a, you know, a couple game spurt while you're, you know, trying to wait for somebody to get back. Now, that hasn't been the case in the backcourt. Um, but but I think the front court with race being out, tried some different things, uh, renew, hit that freshman wall or whatever you want to call it there for a little bit. I think he's breaking through that a bit now. Um, but I th- also think that Woodson is a guy who very much, if he finds something that he thinks is working, is not going to go away from it. And so when TJD is out there playing superhuman, he's going to be apt to ride him out. You hear what he talks about uh, before, you know, after, after games and when it, you know, in my day we did this, we played whatever. And I think that's the way that he views it. And is basically like, if you're playing well, I'm leaving you out there. And you got to be ready to handle the minutes. And I think that has, 
that has been positive for this team in the sense that it's helped them win the games, like Coach said. I think it's been challenging for anybody else, though, to really get into much of a rhythm and to know my role in a night-in, night-out basis. And to your point, Cop has kind of embraced the, I might get six shots today and I might get two the next day and I might get, you know, three the game after that. I think that's hard for some of these other younger guys who haven't been around college basketball as much to figure out how you really fit in and to feel like you can be successful when you're accepting a role that's, that's in that way. Um, and so, you know, time will tell what that actually means for the end of the season and even for the development of guys, you know, heading into next year. Uh, but I think it's to a point where I, I think Xavier Johnson gives him another guy that he trusts. I think it's just, there doesn't feel like there's a ton of trust to ride those guys in a lot of minutes. And it's kind of a chicken and egg argument at some right. point after that. I don't think it's that guys aren't putting in the work, but I also think you get in the game. I mean, unless you just really go out and play great defense and make some plays that way, like that's really how you got to approach it. I think as a player to make your mark, cause you know, you're not going to get a ton of offensive opportunities unless you're one of the top guys in the pecking order. Yep. I agree. So, uh, there was one other one which feels like is definitely going to come into play. I'll post uh, the article I found that had this in the in the chat. But Kent asked a question: What is the tiebreaker for seeding in the Big Ten tournament? And given that everybody has virtually the same record, um, this is probably this is probably will uh, will come into play for sure. I'll summarize it, but then, like I said, I'll put it in there. Uh, if there's only two teams, uh, then it, it basically is your is your head to head, and then it basically moves to starting at the top, how did you play against the champion? How did you play against the second team? How did you do that? Uh, if there's multiple teams tied, it's your record within that pool of teams. So if three teams are tied, it's what's your aggregate record uh, against the other two teams that you're that you're tied with. And then it kind of does the same thing once you split it out from there. But uh, yeah, I do feel like unless things really uh, get a little separation, uh, more so than what's happened so far, uh, we'll all need to be referring to this. So Kent, I'll uh, I'll put a link to what I found in the uh, in the community so that you can peruse that at your leisure. But uh, like I said, I think we're all going to need to know that one at some point before uh, before we wrap things up. But uh, all right, well that'll do it for this week. Sorry we couldn't get to more questions. Like I said, Jared will try to get to those uh, tomorrow. But uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, you can join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music, and thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. Until then... Take it from me, Christian Wofford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Hey, the show's over. Here I come, Coach Tonsoni. I, I really hope Mrs. Tonsoni can console you after what Brad Underwood is doing right now, his team is doing right now. So you may need the arms. Oh, they're coming back, though, it looks like. I just checked yeah. the score. They've, they've awoken in the second half. I think Boo Booey almost outscored him on his own in the first half. He actually may I have. I sent uh, Brad a text at halftime. You saw me reaching down for my phone. I appreciate you doing that. What, what the heck was going on? Absolutely. So, so anyway, all right. Well, I got to run. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for running things. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, we'll be back on Saturday after the IU Purdue game. Thanks.
Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com/internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the US to H 2023. Results may vary. Not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.